The expansion of the church was the fulfillment of the prophecy Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, you will receive what? Power. And in that power, you'll be witnesses of me, speaking of himself, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is basically the broad outline of the book of Acts. And then here's a new question today. What does living this life of faith look like? What is different when you come to Christ? Is there a change that is visible? Can people look at your life on the outside and figure out that something has happened on the inside? I've never in my life had anyone ever ask me if I run marathons. I'm not sure why. It may have something to do with a physical perspective. Is there something different about you when you come to Christ? Now, in this conversation, I want to take you to two texts in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 15. The church is growing across the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas have completed a missionary journey, and they're coming back and giving a great report to the church, and they're sharing all the good news of the people who have converted to faith, all the Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, this great moment is met with both excitement and then met with a little bit of a, hold on, let's take a time out, let's talk about this. Because surely, if they're going to convert to being a Christ follower, they've got to also add in some of the stuff that Moses talked about because that's where this all came from. And therefore, they can't just convert by just being repentant. They've got to add a few more things on top of this, including things like circumcision and obeying the entirety of the law. And so Paul and Barnabas, they take complete offense at this, and they begin to debate this, and they begin to argue this. But what is this we're talking about? Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. I want to show you how simple the gospel is. I want to show you how crystal clear it is and how easy it is for anyone who is willing to preach the good news. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, here we go. It says, therefore, let all of Israel be sure to this. God has made this Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. God has made this Jesus whom you crucify. That's an important word for us. Both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied and said, repent. That's a key word right there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Two more verses. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt, or one uh, version might say twisted, or one might say perverse generation. 
And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Here is a picture of a simple message in a growing church. The church always grows when the message is clear and simple. And the good news is, if we just preach it like it reads, it is super clear and super simple. Peter's preaching here to everyone. And he emphasized in this text on the person of Christ and the emphasis is on repentance. In fact, I would give you an assignment today to go home and reread Acts chapter 2, 36 through 41. And I would just say, read those few verses and write out three simple lines that summarize the entire text. And if I were to help you do that, I would say my first thing is, I would talk about that number one, this is all about Jesus. Everything about the gospel is built around the person of Christ. Number two, I would talk about the idea that it's based upon repentance. There's a repentance part of this. If you're going to turn to Christ, you have to repent of your sins. In fact, repentance is not just turning from sin, it's turning toward Jesus. What we often miss is the reason we have to keep repenting and coming back to the altar and confessing our sins and praying again is because we can turn from our sin, but if we don't turn toward Christ, we leave a void in our life that leaves the sin nature vulnerable to filling itself back in. Hear me today, if you want to stop sinning, stop living a life that doesn't glorify God, fall in love with Jesus Christ with every part of your being. Give him your heart, your mind, your soul, your everything. Pursue after him. Love him. Be passionate for him. And before you know it, sin goes away on its own because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Fall in love with Jesus and the sin begins to leave your life. It's, it's important to see the priority you must place on pursuing him. He must be first. He must be everything. So repentance is the message of the gospel. Turn toward Jesus is the message of the gospel. And here's some great news. The gospel is for everyone. Remember, Acts is a picture of the nations and languages coming together. The spirit falling and filling. And then people going back and sharing the good news. The gospel is for everyone. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the idea as well that even though there's great miracles and great events in the local church, there's also the reality that not everybody likes the idea of a growing church. I remind you today to not forget about the fact that we still have an adversary called the devil. And he does not want a growing, thriving church on the earth that glorifies God. Because he would just as soon take over the rank and file and he would just as soon take over your life because he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus Christ and his church is here to give you such a thing called life and more abundance and hope. That's what the church is here for. I have come that you might have life and have it fuller and what? More abundantly. And that's the goal of the church. So we see this begin to unfold before us. And again, this growing church is impacting the world, the Roman Empire, but it's also messing into and messing up some thoughts about even Judaism. And how do we now relate to those who are coming into faith from the Gentiles? Can they just come in? Can we make it 
clear what they also must do, or should we make it simple? And my thought today is let's not make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. The message is simple. The message is crystal clear. And here's what you have to know. Everybody here is equally in need of a Savior. And everybody here today in this house and online is equally needing grace and mercy. And everybody here today qualifies just like I did at a young age to be saved by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Savior. He is your Savior today. And all of us need him in our life. Now, I want to take you back to Acts 15. Let's turn there real fast. And I've, I've noted on your note sheet, and we're doing this to help you build context. This note sheet has historical context on it. And on the flip side is your note fill-ins are very brief because I want you to lean on this front side uh, more in this series. I want you to know what the Bible meant in their day and time so we can know how to apply it in our day and time. We have to get our mind around the idea that the Bible is written to people in a time and a space. And as we learn what it meant to them, we can apply it to our life. And I recommend you check this out, some history content about the book of Acts. Also, there's a podcast referral there that gives some, some perspective on Acts 15. And I think it would help you to listen to that later today if you get the chance to do so. But Acts 15 is the text, the the chapter that sets the tone for the entire New Testament. These Gentiles are coming to faith, new people coming in, and the church is all sitting there going, what are we going to do? How do we deal with this? Go to Acts 15, verse 1. Here we go. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, Peter preached a very simple message. Jesus is redemption. Jesus is salvation. Repent and be baptized. Receive forgiveness and walk in his path. And now they're saying, you must do this and also do that. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad, but when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Watch verse 5 close. But then some of the believers, some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. These new converts coming in, They've heard the sermon preached in Acts 2. They've heard it relayed from their fellow man who came back with the message. And now they're hearing, oh, by the way, there's something else that you need to do. When you look at this, the question pressing in Acts 15 of do we require them to convert to Judaism 
Or do they stay as simple God-fearers was not a question about their belief as much as it was their behavior in their life. Now, in all fairness, in the early church, and in fact, in faith in the first century world, there was a definite correlation between your belief and your behavior. In fact, I would suggest that we need to revisit that idea that what you believe, you actually behave accordingly. We, we have learned through our sin nature, we have learned through our many mechanisms of today's society, we have learned how to believe A and live B. And the Bible is clear on this, that God's church should be a church that believes A and lives A and believes B and lives out B. Your beliefs and behaviors should go together. In this Acts 15 conversation, we begin to see this tension unfolding. I'll go real fast to chapter, uh, verse 22, the same chapter. Acts 15, 22. It says, then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they chose Judas, who was also called Barsabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers who are in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and have disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we have agreed to choose some men and to send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, listen close. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by the word of mouth that we are writing. Now here's verse 28, check this out, here we go. This is the basic simple outcome of this Jerusalem council, here we go. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from the food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these three things. Now, for us to apply this today, we have to know what it meant to them in their day and time. We have to look at this and figure out how does this apply to us. Well, the first thing to realize is these prohibition, these three things that you cannot do, and we summarize the three basics because the, this text is unique to us based on its previous textual concept and also today's concept of this text. We look at this and we go, where do we get these from in the first place? Who decides on these three things? Well, they're all in the Bible. In fact, I would submit to you that every prohibition we talk about today is founded in this book right here. And let me help you. This book right here is what decides what is righteousness and what is sinfulness. This is the text. Man has always tried to add his two cents on top, but this is the text you live by. If it's in the Bible, do it, obey it. This is yes or no, it's up or down. This is God's word, and this is the book that tells us about all these things. But there's three things he talks about, three things. Look at them real fast. Idolatry, immorality, and shedding of innocent blood. Do we still today have any of these three things? I mean, let's just break them down one by one. 
Do we still deal with idolatry? I mean, if you were to go with me to Greece and uh, next year we're going to go to Greece as a church, if you were to go to Greece, you would see temples still standing up that were built for idol worship. You, you, you would see still some remains of idols that were worshipped in the first century Greek culture and Roman era. You would see those. They're still there to this day. Do we still today, I mean, we're educated people, we're a prosperous nation. Do we still deal with the issue of idolatry? If you're to drive down 59 Highway past the church here, you wouldn't see a bunch of temples with big statues out front. You wouldn't see that at all. So haven't we gotten rid of idolatry? Or maybe idolatry is more prominent than ever before. Maybe it's everywhere. Maybe it's 24-7, 365. Maybe it is more pressing than we give credit for. Maybe today we are still an idolatrous people. I would submit that today we are very much into our idols. Now, they've changed shape, they've changed form, and they may not be a marble statue somewhere, but we still have today things that we worship ahead of God. Remember the very first commandment? What was the very first commandment? I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods be for me, period. Anything in your life that has more say, more control, more voice, more authority, more hope, more anything else, that has become an idol and has placed itself ahead of God, and that is a problem. If you're going to serve Jesus Christ, you cannot have anything ahead of the place he plays in your life. It's kind of like being married. Husbands, if you're married, your wife is number one, and there is not a close second. Can I get an amen? That was not a good response. Maybe we should have a marriage conference at Calvary next weekend. I'm going to ask you again, husbands, husbands, this is your chance here to, to really get out of the doghouse you got into yesterday because you forgot to get your honeydews done. This is your window to get back in. I'm going to say it again. If you're a married man, your wife is your number one everything, and there is not a close second anywhere on the earth. Can I get an amen? There you go. Why can't we just start there? You guys, is, the sermon would get cut in half if you just get engaged. I mean, we'd be done in 10 minutes. Not really. Idols are real. We deal with them. I deal with them. Challenge. The world's full of them. In fact, if you open up your phone any time of the day, you'll see idols in front of you. Things that you long for, things you crave for, things you want to worship, things you want to occupy your time with. Every one of us must address idolatry on a regular basis. Number two, do we still today deal with immorality? I mean, come on, we're educated people, we're a prosperous nation, we're, I mean, we, we put people on the moon, surely we figured out how to, how to behave ourselves. See, to make better context here, God's people, Israel, came out of his model of marriage being the place for sexuality and God who blessed marriage as a covenant relationship. And God said marriage is, 
is, is honorable among all men and, and that sexuality goes inside the marital relationship and there's, there's nothing there that's, that's sinful at all. It's, it's under the Lord. It's, it glorifies God when a husband and wife come together in this union. It's a beautiful thing in God's eyes. And then they begin to encounter people like the Moabites, the Canaanites, and the Babylonians. They begin to see a brand new way of living out this sexual side of self. They begin to see sexuality being part of worship and part of even a way of living an open lifestyle. They begin to see all the stuff. In fact, if you look at Scripture and you look at today, there's a bunch of stuff happening right now that happened in the Bible. So, 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 so to suggest that the Bible is not a relevant book, folks, it's happening then and it's happening now. It's the same conversation. And we begin to see in Scripture, we begin to see through the pagan gods that sexuality was now an expression of oneself and one's identity and who they wanted to be. And that does not align with God's word. And so we see this prominent and the Israelites are just hit by this and God reminds them that, that you're a special people. This is my plan. And so that's why the Bible talks a lot about human sexuality. And a lot about the importance of the marriage bed not being defiled. I would suggest you look at our world today. We live in a very sexualized society. At the same time, we do not have a culture that honors God in the marriage covenant. We don't see celebration of married life like we did decades ago. We see a celebration of the individual. We don't see a lot of talk about the benefits of living, keeping yourself to your spouse until death do us part. No one talks about that anymore. In fact, that's kind of archaic to think that you could ever discipline yourself to one person for life. Who thought of that? The answer is God did. And so we live in a world that doesn't celebrate that, and that's in front of us 24-7, 365. We hear about this all the time. What about the shedding of innocent blood? Is that still a problem for us? Do, do we as people still kill innocent people? I mean, surely we are... A, Advanced nation, we're a prosperous, a prosperous nation. We have, we have, uh, we've educated ourselves. We've put people on the moon. Surely we have figured out how to get along with each other. And the answer is we still deal with the shedding of innocent blood. In fact, I cannot think of a greater example of this taking of innocent life than the act of abortion. And it happens all the time. We've made it into a political theater conversation, and it is not because that's a life made in the image of God, and that is innocent. I can't think of a more innocent place to be than in the mother's womb. That's innocence. That's as innocent as you'll ever be is right there. And yet we celebrate that as a society. We talk about that as people. Folks, we still today deal with all three of these things. But what does it mean to us today? What did it mean to them? Because you might be saying, Marty, I don't have a statue in my house. I, I'm not living sexually immoral. I'm not uh, killing innocent babies. I'm not, but, so this doesn't apply to me. Oh, absolutely it does. Because the point that's going on here is that God is setting up his church to be a place that is distinct and unique to the culture. 
In the first century conversation, these things were going right at the heart of the Roman culture. And in, in those days and times, killing an innocent person was not a problem at all. If you weren't Roman, you were worthless anyway. And the idea of innocent blood, have you ever heard of blood sport in the arenas in the Roman Empire culture? It was commonplace. What about immorality? Oh, it was everywhere. This is a commonplace conversation. An idolatry who didn't have gods. In fact, there was no issue with Yahweh as long as they didn't claim he's the only God. Bring him on in. The more gods, the merrier. It was like desserts at a cookout. Bring your God. You got a God, I got a God. Let's all make all kinds of gods. Then Yahweh shows up on the scene and the followers of Christ show up on the scene and they start saying there's only one God. And that was the problem. So everything in this talking point is all about going right at the heart of the culture and saying because of Jesus, we're going to be different people. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. He said this. He says, you don't put, you don't put a city on a hill and hide it. You don't put a lamp on a stand and cover it. He says, listen, you are the light of the world. You are a city upon a hill. And then he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Here's what this is about. What they're saying is if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be in this new movement, you have got to live a life that lights a different path. You've got to shine your light in a darkened world. And this is where you come into play. If the gospel should be preached everywhere and all the time, that means you have to preach it with me. I cannot do it by myself. You're a preacher. You're a messenger. You say, how do we do that? You do that by letting your light so shine. You shine hope. You shine truth. You shine peace. You shine righteousness. You shine justice. You shine the goodness of God. You talk about a different way of living every time you get the chance. With every step you're preaching, every step you're sharing, every step you're encouraging, every step you're showing people that there is a different way in this life. And that's what Jesus did. And church, that's how the church begins to grow. When you begin to go out to the uttermost part of this area, Chicagoland, across Illinois, across the U.S., across the globe, that is our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our ends of the earth. It's the same conversation. We should be filled up with the Spirit of God at such a level that the Spirit of God pours through us and begins to lead us and guide us. And then the message comes out of us that Jesus still saves. This Jesus, this Jesus is the Son of God. This Jesus is the Messiah. This Jesus is the hope of the world. You have it. You know it. You're taught it. Now go and share it because that's how God grows his church. Thank you for watching the Calvary Church YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a video. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, be sure to text CC New Life to 94000. Someone from our team will reach out to you, say hey, and talk a little bit about what that decision means for you. For more information on our church, head to calvarynaperville.org or follow us on social media by clicking the links in the description. Hope to see you in person soon. Have a great day.